Amen. Well, hard is hard to define. And the reason why is because it's subjective, right? Like what's hard for me may not be hard for you and vice versa. For example, like it's hard being a Minnesota Vikings fan. May not be hard for you, but it's hard for me because I'm 40, y'all, and they have never made it to the Super Bowl in my life. Not one time. But if you're a Green Bay fan, it's a hard season right now. But it ain't hard for me. I'm rejoicing. If you're an Alabama fan, oh, it's hard. Mm, it is hard, hard, hard. You know what makes a Tennessee loss feel better? An Alabama loss. Ooh, somebody better praise the Lord. Come on, somebody. Ooh. Again, you know, what's hard for me may not be hard for you and vice versa. Well, at the beginning of this year, I decided to do uh, this thing called 75 Hard. If you've never heard of it, it's both a mental and physical challenge. And to complete 75 Hard, you must do these certain requirements for 75 days. And if you skip one thing, then you got to start all over. And so you have to follow a diet, no cheat days. Now, come on, somebody, no cheat days. Yeah, no cheat days. Two 45-minute workouts, one has to be outside. You got to drink a gallon of water every day, read 10 pages of nonfiction book. I counted the Bible. Come on, son. It's nonfiction. Let's go. Anyways, take a daily progress pick. Now, you would have thought the hardest part of this maybe would be the two 45-minute workouts, one being outside. And I really did think that that was probably going to be the hardest part. But honestly, the hardest part was actually the easiest part. It was taking the daily progress pick that was, I mean, I'd be laying in bed. I'm like, yeah, I got it done. Then my wife like, did you take your progress pick? And I'd have to like throw the covers off and run and take my progress pick. And you know how you feel when you take the progress pick, when you start, you're like, mm, I don't like this. But as you start to see progress, it gets a little bit better. But 75 hard was hard. And the reason why that I decided to do 75 hard is I wanted to get in the best shape possible because I wanted to go on an out west elk hunt. And I had always been told that if you go out west on an elk hunt, you need to be in shape, especially a bow hunt. And so I returned from Colorado about two months ago on this elk hunt. And what I thought was going to be like this amazing experience, which it was amazing, actually turned out to be one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my life. And you might be saying, well, how hard could it be? I mean, it was so hard that I had, I mean, I was questioning everything about life. <laughs> and to give you just a real quick glimpse of how maybe difficult it was for this Southern boy in the Colorado altitude, I have a quick like 30 second video that I want to show you. And it's going to kind of like be before I ascended the mountain and about a quarter of the way up. All right. So check this out. Hiking into the National Forest. Here we go, day one. Loaded packs. Here we go. Here we go. Stay tuned. I'm really not sure the workouts helped us as much as we had hoped. It is, it is unreal. It is unreal. The view's unreal. It's unreal. 
I want you to take a moment to just look at this face. I am questioning. I'm like, I'm going, did I choose to do this? Did I pay money to do this? Am I going to be camping up here? What am I doing with my life? Shortly thereafter, I took this video. I literally thought I was going to pass out. Like, as soon as we entered into the National Forest, I was like, I'm going to pass out, dude. Like, I don't know what's going on with my body. And um, in that moment, I had to, you know, man up, right? But as I got to thinking about this experience, some of y'all know exactly what this experience is like. You may not have experienced ascending a mountain. However, you've experienced having to choose to navigate through what's difficult and hard in life. And maybe choosing to run a marathon or maybe getting through anatomy and kinesiology at Austin P. Or maybe it's going through a divorce, grieving the loss of a loved one, seeing your child struggle with addiction. For some of us, it's, it's hard going to a work to work to a job that we hate, or maybe for some of us, it's quitting the job that we love. How about this one? It's hard to love your neighbor as yourself. It's hard to share the gospel with people. It's hard to follow Jesus when your family questions everything that you're doing and why you're a Christian and they wanna debate you every time you bring up your faith. It's hard. And today, you're going to see as we continue in our Acts series that in chapter 21, that sometimes following Jesus and the Holy Spirit can be hard. And that's why I've entitled today's message, Choose to Follow the Holy Spirit When It's Hard. We're going to start out in Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 1. And before we kind of jump in, I want to just say that the first thing I think you're going to see is God preps us for whatever's next. God preps us for whatever's next. Now, let me give you a little bit of quick context before we jump in to verse one. Paul is the apostle that's traveling from uh, all these Grecian islands and Grecian nations through Lebanon, and he's trying to go to Jerusalem, okay? And we're picking up kind of in the middle of his travels, all right? So when we start reading this, I want you to kind of have that in the back of your mind. All right, here we go. It says that when they departed from them and set sail, we came by a straight course called Cuz, and next to the next two or next day roads, and from there Patara. And having found a ship crossing the to Phoenicia, words are hard for me, y'all. <laughs> and having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. Now, to give you a quick review, Luke, the author, is describing this journey that they're going on because Apostle Paul is like, I gotta go to Jerusalem. He's headed there for multiple reasons. One, he had taken an offering for the Jews in Jerusalem in Ephesus. So he's wanting to give this offering to them. And the second reason, is because he really wants to get there by Pentecost, which is a festival. And Jews from all over the world are gonna come back to Jerusalem to celebrate, and his mission is to get there to tell them about Jesus, all right? And so he's traveling, 
And along the way, he's stopping at various different places. And I just thought I would give us a visual. I'm kind of nerdy, y'all, and I like maps. So maps, maps. Y'all remember that, Dora? I didn't even sing the song right, so whatever. But here's the map. So here's the Grecian um, islands and the Grecian places that he was visited on his way back. There's Kaz, Rhodes, Patara, and then he's landing in right there, Tyre, which is modern-day Lebanon. So he's landed there. This is where we're picking up the story, all right? Now, along the way, though, he's hitting a few of these cities. And along the way, almost every city that he goes to, he's getting this, like, prophetic warning that if you continue to go to Jerusalem, imprisonment and suffering awaits you. However, we know back in Acts 20 that he's like, I still feel bound to go. Like, I still feel like God wants me to go to Jerusalem. So now he arrives entire and it says when he gets there it seems like they have unloaded the cargo and now they're having like this ancient layover and this ancient layover is about a seven day layover to get on another ship and it says that they're going to seek out some disciples now before they start seeking out the disciples I want to say this have you ever had anybody like show up at your house unannounced check out what this says so they, they get there, and they stay there for seven days. Seven days, y'all. Somebody say seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So here's another city. Paul's getting another prophetic word or um, illustration that you're going to see in just a second that's kind of odd. And they're like, hey, you shouldn't go to Jerusalem. And when our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with their wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we got on board the ship and they returned home. So these believers in Paul's entourage show up you know, you got to understand, like, there's not a church on every city in Tyre. Like, the church is new. Like, Christianity is new. And so they go throughout the city. They find some disciples, and they're like, hey, we're staying with y'all. Now, I don't know if you've ever had anybody, again, stay at your house or come to your house unannounced, but it could be good or it could be bad. It's rarely in between. <laughs> and some of us, we can't even have family staying three days, let alone seven days of perfect strangers. Can I get an Amen. And I want you to notice this too. The stay must have been so good and they connected so well. Now we don't have any insight totally of knowing if they didn't know each other or not, but we assume that they didn't. But it went so well that they're like, we're not just gonna say goodbye from our house. We're actually gonna go outside the city, go to the beach, pray with you before you get on the ship. Now you've all had moments where people come to your house to visit so good, you go in the driveway, you linger for a little bit. I mean, it's like an hour later. I mean, the visit's so good, right? But then there's other times where you just stay on the couch and you say deuces, right? <laughs> like, no, nah, it's time for y'all to go. Like, you turn the TV on, you're like, mm, uh-huh. Don't lie. But in this instance here, it seems as though the stay is doing great, or the stay was great. Now, before they go to the beach and pray with them, they give Paul another warning. And Paul's like, all right, I'm still going to go forward. 
And I think the reason why is because Paul never got a directive not to go forward. He never got a directive not to go forward. And so he continues to go. And the reality is that if Paul continues to go, there will be trouble. However, Paul is resolved. He's uh, undeterred. He's determined. He's driven. And he sees this not as prohibition, but preparation. In our lives, maybe instead of seeing every obstacle or challenge in front of us as God wanting us to quit or give up or profit, prohibiting us from going forward, maybe we need to start seeing it as God preparing us for whatever is next. And I think it's possible and probable that that's how Paul viewed this warning. It was a confirmation that he was actually headed in the right direction. And I think Paul's attitude was like, hey, God, what are you preparing me for? And I think that should be our attitude as well. So let me ask you, what is God preparing you for? And will you choose to follow Jesus and the Holy Spirit even when it's hard? I remember back when I was a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor for 10 years in Kentucky. Um, I mean, Kentucky. Um, and I remember God clearly spoke to me like through the Holy Spirit, not audibly, but like, like in my gut, I knew I was supposed to quit being a youth pastor and I wanted to move back to Clarksville, my hometown. And I wanted to move back here and be a pastor. And so I decided to do that. And part of like what God was leading me to do was to quit and then go tell this sign company they should hire me as their sales rep. And I didn't know anything about signs. So I took this huge step of faith. I mean, people are like telling me that I'm crazy. I'm thinking I'm crazy. And I go and do it, right? And I'm in the middle of, or I'm actually at the beginning of being this sign salesman. And I'm going to businesses, and I remember a moment where I'm off of Wilmot Rudolph Boulevard, and I'm in my sales truck, and I'm feeling sorry for myself. You ever had those moments? And I'm crying. Like, I'm like, I'm crying, I'm angry, I'm yelling a little bit at God, like, this ain't the plan, God. This is not what you told me. You told me I was going to be pastoring in Clarksville. You told me I was going to be in ministry. And I remember God quickly like responding back, not audibly, but like in my gut going, who said you weren't in ministry? And everything shifted in that moment. And instead of seeing obstacles and, and seeing my current assignment as a hindrance, I started to see it as preparation for what was next. So when I started going into businesses, I stopped actually trying to, I really stopped trying to sell signs, which Maybe the sign company didn't like, but I just started going in trying to figure out what business owners needed and, and talking to them and getting to know them and trying to make connections for them. And I would even like in moments, like I had to use some discernment and some wisdom, but I would go like, hey, do we, I don't know if you're a believer, but I think I should pray with you right now. And again, I think what God was doing in that season of my life is he was preparing me for this season in my life. And ultimately, I think that's what God was doing for Paul. He was preparing him for whatever was next. Paul was motivated by his love for people. And he was motivated by obeying the Holy Spirit. Remember back in Acts chapter 20, it said he was bound. He was constrained. Like he had to travel to Jerusalem. He felt like he had a direct mandate from God himself. 
and nothing was going to deter him. And I really believe this. If he was not supposed to go, he would have been told so. Now, the Christians at Tyre are only doing what's natural, though. What's natural is when you meet a friend, you get to know them, and then you get this, like, prophetic, like, warning. You're like, I don't think you should go. Like, nobody wants to see their friends go through suffering and imprisonment. Like, nobody's signing up for that. And so it's understandable why they would actually ask Paul not to go. But that's why we should value input, but always follow the Holy Spirit. Value input, but follow the Holy Spirit. Now, they continue their voyage. They leave Tyre and they arrived at Potolomaeus. This is still in modern day Lebanon. And they greeted the brothers and they stayed there one day. And then on the next day, they departed and came to Caesarea. Caesarea is a coastal town in Israel, North Israel. So they're now in Israel. And they entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. And he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying there for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Now, to give you some context here, Judea and Caesarea are about 80 miles apart. If you make that journey by foot, it would take you 26 hours nonstop. So Agabus comes up and he takes Paul's belt, a little strange, and he binds his own feet in his hands saying, thus saith the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles, which we know were the Romans. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody came in and took my belt in the middle of a church service and started tying themselves up, we'd be going like, where's the safety team at? <laughs> like security, yeah, exactly, security. But Paul apparently trusts his friend Philip who started the church in Caesarea. And apparently, I guess he trusts Agabus. We have no um, context of knowing if they knew each other. So Agabus comes up and he's like, he doesn't interrupt this prophetic demonstration that's very odd in our context. And he lets it play out. And so you can understand though, how Luke, the writer of of Acts and those that were traveling with Paul and even those that are in Caesarea might would feel about this prophetic demonstration. Like if I was traveling with Paul, I'd be like, yo, Paul, we ain't going to Jerusalem. Like it ain't happening. Like this is weird. This is God telling us not to go. That's how I would interpret it. But again, you got to remember, value others' input but trust and follow the Holy Spirit. It says this in, in just a second, we're gonna read it, but they start like this emotional plea, begging Paul not to go. It says, and when we heard this, this is Luke, including himself, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm not only ready to be in prison, but I'm even ready to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Again, 
99.9% of us would see this as prohibitation, right? That's not even a word. But you know what I mean. Like we see this as an answer to prayer. We would know that this is God's protection because it's in our nature to avoid what's hard and difficult. But Paul is like, nope, I'm focused. I'm going. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit. He values the input of the church and the members in Caesarea. And he listens to their genuine concern. And they relent when he would not be persuaded. And I think it's important to notice that they said, let the will of the Lord be done. I think this is Christian maturity right here. Like if we can't agree, then let's just pray, let the will of the Lord be done. Let the will of the Lord be done. And I think there's a a few things that we can understand about this interaction that they had. One, wise people can give bad counsel with the best of intentions. Secondly, it's possible to make a wrong decision based on the feedback of multiple wise people. You know why? People are imperfect. And we can't expect 100% accuracy when people are giving us counsel and advice. And I believe we should take this same approach as Luke and those who traveled with Paul. If people won't receive our feedback, then we just say, hey, let the will of the Lord be done. So the question remains though, did Paul reject wise counsel? I think I've said this multiple times, I don't think he did because I really believe that God would have given him a prophetic directive not to go. But remember this, we live by faith, not by sight. And it's impossible to please God without faith. So Paul is taking a step of faith, knowing that the Holy Spirit has been warning that trouble is coming. And likewise, we take steps of faith because we are led by the Holy Spirit even when it's difficult, even when it's hard. And look, I'm gonna say this, don't become stuck in spiritual limbo because you're afraid to make a move. Rather, take courage and make a move. I talk to a lot of people and they're like, I just wanna do God's will, I just wanna do God's will. And they get so paralyzed by wanting to do God's will that they don't make a move at all. They just stay stuck. And look, it's impossible to please God without making a move and taking a step of faith. So listen to this. Even if you make the wrong move, trust God's grace that he can reroute you and put you back on course. Like that's happened in my life. I've made bad decisions and God's grace has given me back on course. Look, if you trust God with your internal salvation, then trust him in every area of your life. Paul's walking by faith and the grace given to him to accomplish his assignment. And likewise, God will empower you with his grace for you to accomplish your assignment and your purpose on earth. Look, your assignment is just like Paul. No, the outcome may not be the same, but your assignment is the same. See, I don't think the location was so much the assignment as the people in the location were the assignment. And so you might be wondering, well, what's my assignment? Well, your assignment is wherever you're located. Like if you're stationed at Fort Campbell, your assignment is the people that are around you. If you're coaching Little League, 
It's all those little five-year-olds that are in your life. That's your assignment. Like wherever you are, the people are your assignment. So whether you're at Austin P as a student, whether you're here as a pastor, like people are your assignment and they are your purpose and you're adding value to their life. Actually, the question is, are you adding value to their life? Now, I wanna give you a quick story about why you should trust the Holy Spirit, value other people's input. I have a pastor friend who, before he was a pastor, he was really high up in banking, like in the corporate world, making a lot of money, good money, and he felt like the Lord told him to quit that and go be a youth pastor. And then everybody was like, bro, don't do it. Like you're gonna go from making a lot of money to no money. But he was like, nah, God told me to do this. So he does it, right? He goes and he's a youth pastor for a while. And as he's a youth pastor for a while, he's like, God spoke to me and told me to join the army. And he's like, it was just out of the blue. I was just praying one day and it just hit me. And he said, everybody was like, don't join the army, you'll be in Iraq. Don't join their army, you'll be in Iraq. And he said, I just had to obey God. Like I valued the input of others, but I'm just gonna obey God. And so he joins the army and he said, I really didn't know why God wanted me to join the army. I just did it, I trusted God. And he said, it didn't dawn on me until I was in Iraq, why God had me there and why God wanted me to join the army. He said, I was sitting in our uh, Humvee and he said, an RPG was launched and it's headed right to their Humvee. And he said, in that moment, the only thing that I could say was Jesus. Now, some of y'all in this room wouldn't say Jesus. If you could be real, like you'd be saying something else. Let's just confess. But he was spiritual, right? So he shouts out Jesus. And he said, as soon as I got done shouting out Jesus, that RPG took a 90 degree turn and crashed right into the ground. And he said, the Iraqi interpreter looked at him and said, who is this Jesus that you speak of? And he said, I knew right there, I made the right decision to go into the United States Army. Again, remember, value other people's input, but trust the leading of the Holy Spirit. And look, don't compare, don't compare what God's asked somebody else to do. Look, you gotta be accountable for what he's asked you to do. He didn't ask me to join the army, but he asked somebody else to. And I'm in the Lord's army, y'all, okay? I'm a green beret. <laughs> that was dumb. I don't know why I said that, but whatever. I want you to notice as we continue in this text that, that Paul's going to move forward, but so are the people that are with him. And that's because we're in this thing together, y'all. We are in this thing together. Check this out. It says, after these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Man, this is so powerful, man. If you just reading it, you would kind of skip over this. But it says, after these, these days, we. That includes Luke, his entourage. And then it says that some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Manasseh of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Notice they didn't let Paul go by himself. Luke and those who are traveling with Paul continue despite the numerous warnings of what was to come. 
They believed in the message of the gospel so much so that even though they disagreed with Paul, they would not let Paul go alone. And even those that saw this weird demonstration that Agabus gave, this prophetic demonstration, they go, we're still not gonna let you go alone. I would say this is the true definition of ride or die friends right here. And you need those types of friends in your life because God's gonna ask you to do things sometimes in your life that are gonna be hard. And you need somebody in your corner rooting you on. They may disagree with you, but you need them rooting you on. And that's what Paul had in this moment. Well, I wanna take you back to the first part of my message when I talked about the difficulty going up a mountain. Now I wanna talk about the difficulty going down the mountain. So uh, we had seen elk early in the day at about uh, almost close to 13,000 feet. And we were in and around like 9,000 feet. So we are hustling to get up there to where the elk are. And when we get up there, um, I've always heard it said like, don't leave elk once you find elk. So we stay up there all day. Like we get up there, we stay up there all day. It's an amazing view. I mean, you can see so far. And we're just like really in awe of God's creation. Like how small we are, like the vastness of creation is amazing. It just testifies that we do have a creator. So we're having these discussions. I mean, I'm FaceTiming people. I'm like, look at this view. Like it's an incredible moment. But here's the thing, life doesn't exist on top of mountains. And sometimes you have to go through the valley. And so eventually we had to come down that mountain and we decided to come down that mountain, not the route we came up, which was a mistake. And to give you a mental picture of the route we chose to go, if you had a tornado that hit the side of a mountain and destroyed everything on that mountain, every tree, it's all uprooted, uprooted. It's, everything's on top of one another. It's just a mangled mess. We are actually navigating through that in the middle of the night with fading headlamps, with only about 500 calories because somebody forgot the food. I don't know who that was. We got to the top of the mountain and I'm like, uh, I only have like a protein bar, y'all. So we are just physically already fatigued mentally struggling in this moment. And there's a few times where, I ain't gonna lie, I mean, I'm like, I'm getting a little bit stressed out. And I'm thinking to myself, like, are we gonna make it through this? I mean, again, like I said, it's in the middle of the night, we have these headlamps on, you know, you can't really see that far because there's just junk everywhere. And I'm walking across logs that are often 15 feet off the ground with a 50 pound uh, backpack, trying not to fall. And I don't know if you know anything about being 6'5 and uncoordinated, but it's a little scary. <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking if I fall, like, it ain't gonna be good because who's gonna come down there and help me? And I remember at one point, somebody was like, man, I don't know if I can do this. And I'm thinking, if you can't do this, like, how am I gonna do this? I'm beginning to pray. I'm texting my wife, telling her to pray for me. I'm having a moment, y'all. And I remember even one time, my buddy, like, we took a rest, and he was like, man, we ain't even halfway down the mountain. I'm just like, Jesus. <laughs> but I'm so glad I was not alone, and I had a friend with me. My mind was messing with me. There were moments where I was stumbled. There was moments where we thought we lost our gear. We would backtrack and then realize we didn't lose our gear. 
But I remember we were sitting down, we were taking a rest, and I remember Mark, who was in that video earlier, the question came up, should we just make a fire and stay the night? And Mark goes emphatically, no! We are making it off this mountain tonight. And in that moment, my faith increased, y'all. I was like, all right, let's go. I was fired up. Like the peace of God came upon me. Like it was crazy, y'all. It didn't take away the difficulty navigating through the mountain and through the valley. But I knew I had somebody with me. Amen? And the question is, do you have somebody with you? When you choose to follow Jesus when it's hard, Paul had this advantage, and the real question is, you have this, do you have this advantage? And I want to challenge you to do something. Even though it might be hard, even though it might be difficult, I want to challenge you to find community through serving here at LifePoint Church. Be a part of all aspects of the local church. Because I really believe you're missing out on the blessing of community. I really do. Like, I've made some of my best friends in life being a part of the local church. I met Mark in the lobby here at LifePoint Church, just having a conversation. And then we go on an elk trip together. And I'm telling you, you will bond with people, you will make connections with people, and you need people in your life. And I'm so glad that I've had people in my life, even when I'm wrong, that they stay with me. They don't leave me. They still encourage me. And I want to encourage you, if you've never been on a missions trip, I know it's hard to save money. Do it. Trust the leading of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've never tithed ever before in your life. Just trust the leading of the Holy Spirit. Do what's hard. Get on a budget. Maybe it's hard for you to like, you're not like me. I'm like, I'm super extroverted. I never meet a stranger. Like my wife's like, do you know everybody? I'm like, I don't know them. I just met them. Maybe it's hard for you to join a small group or host a small group. Trust the leading of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's hard for you to take your next step and get on a dream team. Or maybe it's hard for you to read your Bible. Maybe it's hard for you to pray or pray even out loud. Just trust the Holy Spirit. Take a step of faith. And look, people are the mission, right? I want to come back to that. People are the mission. And I think, again, that's why Paul's friends were like, you're not going to go alone. We're going to go with you, even though we disagree with you. Because they understood people were the assignment, not the location. I want to give you a sobering thought. What's ahead of all of us, what's ahead of all of us is just like Paul. No, our outcome may not be prison. Hopefully it's not prison, right? But it's either death or Jesus comes back. Like that's a 100% statistic. I want to ask you a tough question. Like, are you adding value to people's lives? Like, what are you doing right now that's affecting eternity? When other people get around you, do they walk away feeling refreshed? Do they walk away like, man, I love being around that person? Or do they walk away going, man, I could have used my time differently? What's sobering to me is that I never want to get to the end of my life having regrets. That's why I went on that elk hunting trip. I'm being for real, like being real practical and for real, but I was like, I'm doing this. 
Because I didn't want to get to the end of my life and go, I wish I would have done that. And so spiritually, I want to encourage you, don't get to the end of your life and be filled with regrets of wishing you would have obeyed God and trust God more. Just do it now. Look, I want to just invite you to just stand up to your feet. And Pastor Elmer um, had this uh, song that he wrote that we sang today at the end of our service. And I just want to just encourage you to uh, make this prayer, and I'm just using part of this song, make this your prayer. And I'm not gonna do anything weird, but I just wanna encourage you and invite you to just lift up your hands and repeat this prayer after me. God, I choose to follow you even when it's hard. Holy Spirit, lead me. Give me the grace and give me the courage to follow you while I serve and while I reach others. In Jesus' name.